This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in a series right now, Praying Steadfastly, considering again Acts 2.42, what the church did daily, constantly. They gave themselves to these things. The Apostles' Doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And as we've been studying through the book of Acts, we see prayer happening chapter after chapter, the Holy Spirit working in response to prayer. And so our praying steadfastly is motivated by what God has committed himself to us to do when we are willing to pray. And so tonight we're going to be looking at some conditions for answered prayer. God has committed himself to answer, but there are some conditions that must be met on our part. And we could state it simply this way, those conditions boil down to this, just be yielded to the Lord. Right? He doesn't need you to impress him, gain his merit. It's not about any of that. He just needs you to be a conduit through which he can work in answer to prayer. And so look at your handout in the introduction here. The scripture teaches that God wants us to pray expectantly. That was our last study. If we believe that the Bible is verbally and plenarily inspired, every word, all of it together as a whole, God breathed, it is God's word, his mind to us. If we believe that, we can put our finger on a promise in the word of God and claim it. That's your first blank. And claim it. Now, I do need to say this. I hear people sometimes say, well, we don't believe in that name it and claim it stuff. Well, you have some splaining to do if you say that, okay? No, you and I can't just name whatever we want for our own desires and so on, and I'm going to quote a Bible verse and God's got to do it. That's not it, okay? But when God prompts us as we're yielded to pray for something, Pray for something that would be inaccessible except for praying for that. When we pray and we claim a promise of God, God says, you have that petition. Guaranteed. That's not any of us. That's all Him. I love Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me. And I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things. You know what that Hebrew word for mighty is? Inaccessible. But you call unto me, and I will gain you access to that. Great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Things that you could not explain or see have happened. Except that you called unto me, and I granted access. Why then doesn't the church see more answers to prayer? And this is where these conditions come in. Now, the primary condition for answer prayer is found in James 4.2. Ye have not because ye, what? Ask not. You have not because you don't ask. 
Did you know that 21 times in the New Testament, our Lord mentions asking in his teaching on prayer? And by the way, he makes it very simple. Ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. You don't have, for this very simple reason, you haven't asked. Passages like John 16, 23, James 4, 2, establish that our lack of receiving is primarily a failure in asking. Now, it's also a problem with the way we think about our God. That's another reason why we don't ask. We tend to look at him as something other than a benevolent almighty father. So I'm, I'm glad that God physically on the earth has structured things with the nuclear family. And by the way, all this transgender stuff. It's anti-God, but it is purposeful to try to get us to not be able to comprehend God because God is male. Him. All right, he is Father. And if you can't figure that out, you, you, you can, you're going to struggle to get to God. But He is Almighty Father, strong to save. Charles Hodge was one of the theological giants at Princeton many years ago when it was a bastion of orthodox truth. It is no longer that. Schools started to train preachers for the gospel ministry. But Hodge had a powerful, brilliant intellect. He was a prolific writer. He was a favorite among the seminary students that were there. Uh, a couple bits of trivia about him. He was married to a great-granddaughter of Benjamin Franklin. He also had chronic pain in his right leg, which forced him to walk with a cane most of his life. But it also was like a thorn in the flesh. It kept him on praying ground and dependent on the Lord. In the biography, Charles Hodge, The Pride of Princeton, uh, Andrew Hoffacker described the reverent seminary professor's intense interest and attention to his children. You'll understand how this illustration fits in with what we're considering tonight. How did Hodge show his intense love for his children? He had a study build as an addition onto his home. You can still see the addition on the left side of his house today when you visit at Princeton. The addition had an exterior door that opened to the outside towards the seminary's main lecture hall so that seminary students could come and see him without having to come through the house and disturb the family. The exterior door on that addition naturally had a lock. Students may or may not have had access to him at any given time uh, for any number of reasons. You had to set up an appointment if you were going to see Dr. Hodge. You, you, had, you had to go through proper channels. However, the interior door connecting the study to the rest of the house was different. That door had no lock. In fact, it didn't even have a latch. 
Hoffecker describes it as a door with, quote, no latch, only springs, so that even the smallest of his children always had access, easy access, to their father. They didn't even have to uh, be tall enough or strong enough to turn a doorknob. All they had to do was push the door open into his presence. It doesn't take a lot of words or persuasive, persuasive pleadings to get God to unlock the door and listen to you. In fact, I'd even say it this way, it's not a locked door. We lock the door when we come to him in sin or we don't come to him at all. If you're coming from inside the house, if he is your father, there's no lock or latch. Only springs. It doesn't take great faith or great faithfulness to push your way into his presence by way of the blood of Christ. If you're coming from inside the house, all it takes is enough faith and enough desire to push open a spring door and say, Father, First John 3, 1 exhorts us to consider the Father's love towards us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. And so we need to ask in prayer. In fact, the word pray means to ask. All right, so that's the primary condition. Now let's move on. The precepts that must guide our asking. So in the weeks that are ahead, Lord willing, we'll examine the following precepts, conditions that must be applied to our asking if we're going to see answers to prayer. This is not complicated. Again, we don't come on our terms to the Holy Father. We come on His terms. His conditions. So what are those? We'll look at, we're, at the fact we're to pray persistently. We'll see that tonight. Unanimously, in faith believing, we're to come in Jesus' name. In other words, we come acknowledging our access through our Savior, our Advocate, but here's something else to consider about Jesus' name. When we come in Jesus' name, we need to make sure we're asking that which is worthy of the Savior. But I would say to you that that's a lot broader than a lot of Christians make it. Does Jesus care if I've got a migraine and I, I'm going to have trouble getting through this day, Lord, unless you give me enablement with this migraine? Does He care? Well, that's selfish. No, no, no. Not if you ask Him for His glory to help you serve Him better. He's a loving Father. And then number five, while abiding in Christ. Prayer is not the emergency phone. We're to be praying always, but some Christians treat it like, well, here's, here's the emergency phone. If things aren't going my way, or I can't figure this out, hello, help, that's not prayer. Now, there are times when we offer up, and I, you've heard me call them flare prayers, okay? Feels like the ship's sinking, send up a flare. 
Lord, help. We have examples of that in the scripture. God delivers. But those shouldn't be the only kind of prayers that we offer up. And so let's look at the first precept tonight, the first condition. The Bible tells us we're to pray persistently. Asking persistently has two sides. First of all, there's positive instruction in the Scripture. Here's the positive side. Ask, and here's your blank. Ask repeatedly. It's okay to ask repeatedly. We're going to see that it is not a lack of faith to ask repeatedly. In fact, the Lord expects it. But if our repeated asking is because we don't think God heard us the first time, that's a problem. So let's look at what this actually means. You're in Luke chapter 11. Would you look at verse 9, please? And I'm going to get my place here as well. Acts 11 and verse 9, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So verse 10 is the promise to verse 9. The promise is associated with verse 9. Now, we don't have to be Greek scholars, and I don't need to go into a lot of detail, but the tenses in verse 9 are, Keep on asking, and it shall be given you. Keep on seeking, and ye shall find. Keep on knocking, and it shall be opened unto you. What does that sound like? That sounds like persistence. That sounds like repeated action, and that's the point. So as we look closer at the text and the verses uh, before this, you have some examples. You have the example of an unkind friend, an unnatural father, and an unjust judge. Three examples that the Lord uses to help us understand the need for us to pray persistently. Let's look at the unkind friend. Acts 11 and verse 5. He said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, for the door is now shut, and my children are, in, are, are with me in bed. I cannot arise and give thee. By the way, verse 7. Even in Bible times, they had the problem of kids wanting to sleep with them in bed. All right? But Ralph Gower, in his Manners and Customs of the Bible, also points out in homes that were not affluent and common homes, and you can visit some replicas of these homes even in Israel today, you essentially had one room. It was like a one-room cabin, only it wasn't made out of wood. And over on the side, they had a raised area that they used for multiple functions. And at night they would cover that with bedding and all the family would sleep there. So that really is what would happen. So when he says, my family is with me in bed, here's somebody knocking on the door in the middle of the night. It's like, shh, stop it, will you please? We're sleeping. That's exactly what was happening here. All right, so as we look on here, verse 8, I say unto you, 
though he will not rise in giving. Okay, he's trying to get this neighbor, this friend, to go away because he is his friend. Okay, he's not going to do it because he's a friend. That's the point. Yet because of his importunity, he will arise and give him as many as he needeth. What's importunity? His persistence. He's not going to take no for an answer. So, hey, I need help. I need bread. Okay? Now, here's a second example. An unnatural father. Look at verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If he ask a fish, will he give for a fish give him uh, will he for a fish give him a serpent or if he shall ask an egg will offer him a scorpion okay now that's an unnatural father a good dad isn't like that but this is the example the lord uses an unkind friend an unnatural father okay the application is in verse 13 then if ye then being evil, because there are fathers that are like that. And there are friends that won't respond to the need of a friend. Okay, that's evil. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I wish we had lots of time to delve into verse 13, but here's the point. We know what good earthly fathers can be like, and what a bad earthly father can be like. Unpredictable. And by the way, sometimes an earthly dad just doesn't have the wherewithal to be able to respond to a need. But that's how things work here. If that's how it works here, and yet we do all we can to respond to the need, compare that with the greatness of your father in heaven who is not limited in supplying any need he's a perfect father now go over to chapter 18 and you'll see the other example that the lord uses again teaching the need for persistent prayer luke 18 look at verse 1 he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint some of you have prayed for things. Well, it's been this many years. God has said no. He must have said no. I stopped praying. No, you may have fainted. You may have grown weary in well-doing. Okay? God's timing isn't our timing. And we see that through the scripture as well. And here's what also is encouraging. If God says, no, I have something better, he'll show that to you. He's not going to leave you hanging. But until you get his answer and you are convinced it is his answer, keep praying. Oh, he may say to you like he said to Paul, no, that thorn in the flesh... That is something I'm going to allow because I'm going to do something greater for you through that thorn. 
your strength is going to be made, or my strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. Okay. So here's the parable. There was in a city, verse 2, a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. He didn't care about anybody but himself. And there was a widow in that city. She came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. I need justice. Uh, something is happening that is unjust, unfair. I need help. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. What a character. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming she weary me. She's wearing me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him though he what bear along with them do you know that your father is so perfect that he knows that sometimes your trials are better for you than what your answer should be so he may bear along think about elijah it took a while did God neglect his servant? No. Verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them. And what's the next word? You ought to underline that in your Bible. In God's economy, in his perspective, what he does for his children is in good time. Always. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth Will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Now, we, we use that verse, verse 8, in different ways, but the point is, when the Lord comes back, in context, is he going to find a praying church that is still trusting and persistent in their asking? That's the context. When the Lord comes back, will he find Good News Baptist Church praying persistently? Now look at this quotation. A.B. Bruce, the training of the twelve, said this, Jesus shows what hard thoughts men think of God under the burden of unfulfilled desire. How they doubt. They doubt His goodness. Deem Him indifferent, heartless, unjust. Like an unkind friend, an unnatural father, an unjust judge. He shows his intimate knowledge of their secret imaginations by the cases he puts. In other words, what the Lord taught here in Luke's gospel, he knows our hearts. And let's be honest, sometimes this is my heart, sometimes this is your heart. Amen? <laughs> let's be honest. God's indifferent. He's busy. He doesn't, he doesn't really care what's going on with Mike. Oh, he does. For the unkind friend and unnatural father, and we may add the unjust judge, are pictures not indeed of what God is or of what he would have us believe God to be, but certainly of what even pious men, spiritual men, sometimes think him to be. 
Now, the two blanks that I had you fill in help emphasize that prayer is most often a thinking problem. It's my thinking problem. Maybe it's your thinking problem. But it's not a problem with my perfect Father in heaven. Never has been. And we've got the biblical record to show us that. So here's the application. Because we faint under delay, the Lord gave us three parables to show that the one who asks always, always, always what? Always receives. In every one of those examples that he gave, in all of that teaching, there is always an answer, a receiving. So we've seen the positive instruction to ask repeatedly, but notice the negative instruction, right? Do not ask with, Matthew 6, 7, vain repetitions. Don't come to God with requests that are meaningless and empty. Well, I know it's the right thing to do, so I'm going to say this to God, but I've, in the meantime, I'm going to be trying to figure out how to make this work because I, I'm not sure he even cares. That's what religion does. Okay? Why do the heathen pray this way? Notice the first bullet there, to earn the attention of God. Here are some examples. Muslim prayer beads. The Catholic Rosary. If we just do this enough, we're going to merit some attention from God and He just might answer. By the way, there are a lot of Muslims and Catholics that put Bible believers to shame. Because they are persistent. Never forget years ago, traveling, we were on a Bible dance tour. We were in Cairo, Egypt. <laughs> and I was struck with the devotion, the prayer devotion of the Muslims who are our tour guides. We'd be traveling through a city. We were on a tour bus. And, and it was a quiet time. We were waiting to get to our next stop. And I'd look over and the tour guide. He's diligent. He's persistent. We were playing tennis one night along the Nile River. That was pretty cool. Except that the ball kept going in the Nile. Well, that's another story. And we took a break. We were playing. It was warm. We took a break, and a couple of us guys were over on the side, and we turned around, and right there on those clay courts at this nice hotel, these two guys who were there overseeing the courts were on there, had their faces in the clay, and they were praying towards Mecca. We took a break. They went to prayer. Are we committed to praying like, like that? But they do it to earn the attention of God. Why? Because they do not understand, notice underneath there, the love of God. I'm so thankful that God in heaven, I don't have to earn His love. I don't have to earn His attention. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And there was nothing lovely on this earth that earned His love. What does John, 1 John 4.19 tell us? We love Him because, say it, He first loved us. 
All right. So, to earn the attention. Sometimes our vain repetitions. Well, God told me to do this, and I'm pushing all the right buttons, and I, if I just keep doing this, you know, God, God's going to respond to me. No, 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 stop it. That's not what we should think. Here's a question. What is the difference, then, in praying the heathen way or heaven's way? After all, Christ repeated the same words to the Father when he prayed in Matthew 26. Remember when he's in the garden? Wakes up that he prays, wakes up the disciples, watch and pray. He goes back to praying again, and he's repeating himself. Lord, Father, let this cup pass from me. Okay? Paul prayed three times, 2 Corinthians 12, 8, that the Lord would take this thorn in the flesh away. What's the difference? Here's the answer. The heathen pray, hoping that their efforts merit them an audience with the Almighty. God's children pray, often repeating our requests, believing that God is able and faithful to answer. I heard one preacher say it this way, and it was so helpful to me. I can go to my father tomorrow with a request that I've been praying about for months and say, Lord, it's Mike. You can put your name in there. I'm not here because I'm doubting whether you heard me or that your promises apply to me. I'm not doubting any of that. I just want you to know I believe you and I'm here and so that we can have a conversation about it again. Thank you that you answer prayer. Lord, I believe you can answer this. I'm trusting you to answer. But Lord, this is not because I doubt you. I am doing this because I need you to encourage me. See the difference? So let's conclude. The greatest hindrance to praying persistently, repeatedly, is an unbiblical view of who God is in relation to His children and to man overall. Where we are at in our series in Acts, we're about to see Peter lead Cornelius to Christ. Here's what we're going to see about Cornelius. He prayed persistently. He's an unsaved man. But he has turned his heart towards the God of the Jews, the true God. He's praying persistently. Did God answer? Oh, yeah, he answered. Was it as quick as Cornelius had hoped? Probably not. But God did answer. In fact, he sent an apostle to come into his house to preach the gospel. His whole house gets converted and baptized. That's the Father. That's your Father. Close with this quote from Richard Sibbs. We should watch daily, continue instant in prayer, strengthen our supplications with arguments from God's Word and promises, and mark how our prayers speed. When we shoot an arrow, we look to its fall. When we send a ship to sea, we look for its return. When we sow, we look for a harvest. It is atheism to pray and not to wait in hope. Well, let that sink in. A sincere Christian will pray, wait, strengthen his heart with the promises, and never leave praying and looking up till God gives him a gracious answer. That's biblically praying.
persistently. May God give us the grace to do it. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for the encouragement of your promises. Thank you that you hear our asking and you've promised to answer. Help us to pray in faith, believing, and to keep on knocking, keep on asking, and you've promised to open. Lord, help us to apply this. Give us grace to understand and do. Lord, protect us from our own self-sufficiency. Help us to trust you. And may our prayers be evidence that we are trusting you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.